This is the Suno India Protection and you're listening to Cyber Democracy. Since 2010 with the launch of Parrot AR drone, drones have become consumer technology. and are being used everywhere from movie shootings wedding videography and scientific activity like mapping the ability of drones to reach places where humans can't directly reach means it could be used for monitoring operations delivery of goods and even potentially be misused for violence india has banned import of drones since 2014 and has legally allowed drone usage only after the december 1st 2018 when director general of civil aviation has brought the rules regulating remotely piloted aircrafts in this episode shashank srinivasan of tech for wildlife takes us through how these regulations are working this podcast is in association with internet freedom foundation Check out their work on drone safety on internetfreedom.in. Welcome to Cyber Democracy Shashank. So, you work with a startup called Tech for Wildlife where you use drones actively. That's correct. Yes, we uh use drones. Uh we use them primarily for mapping and spatial analysis, uh but we also do lots of work around policy a lot of work around research and implementation as well both for conservation as well as other humanitarian applications of uh, drones and other technology can you cite some examples where you actually use them like on ground scenarios how you use them so between 27 and 2019 we've done a number of drone projects in uh, and around uh, india uh, we've worked with uh, state governments in odisha in goa and in uttar pradesh to actually use drones in the field uh for example in uttar pradesh one of our first projects back in the beginning of 2017 was on using drones to track down a manating tiger and help the forest department capture it so they essentially they wanted aerial surveillance uh, and a live video feed of uh, the activities on ground when they were actually engaged in the process of capturing the tiger we've also done lots of mapping projects we uh, have done in odisha for example after cyclone fani in 2019 we went in with drones to run a pilot on uh, detecting how many coconut trees had been destroyed in a particular village because of uh, the cyclone right so again using drones to count fallen coconut trees to examine the rooftops of damaged houses example the some other kind of work we've done uh, we did work in ladakh as well in 2019 where uh, we were doing an expedition to explore a set of high altitude lakes using our drones we have some projects planned in 2020 as well uh, but we are currently working on getting the permissions and the permits for all the work we are planning that's some interesting work but speaking of permissions and permits india has actually brought regulations on how you fly drones and there is a clear laid out procedure to get these permissions and to fly them can you walk us through how this works because the regulations came in 2018 i believe december 1st of 2018 you used drones before that as well so what changed after the regulations has come in so between october 2014 and december 2018 there's effectively a ban on any use of civilian drones in within the country right 
Uh, this was imposed in October by the DGCA, October of 2014 by the DGCA. It's a, essentially a very short memorandum from the government, which essentially I think two or three paragraphs, which essentially just say no civilian drones are going to be used in the country. Uh, now there's lots of confusion about that particular ban imposed in 2014 because there were already drones being used in the country and even after the ban, uh, it wasn't clear whether that applied to state governments, to the police forces, for example, uh, as well. And um, in practice, what happened was that the, the clearances were obtained quite straight easily to fly drones uh, from various uh, government bodies, right? Because in a sense, in most districts, in most states, where the district collector or the director of police would approve drone use for any purpose they deemed fit, you could actually fly drones because uh, their remit, in a sense, overrode the DGCA ban. At least that was the case in practice. Uh, as of uh, December 1st, 2018, when they actually brought in the regulations, it seemed to, at least on paper, seemed to be easier to fly drones legally in the country, right? And uh, because it was a very gray area till then. Uh, but in practice, the gray area has continued and the gray area still exists today as well. Regulations themselves, yeah, it has been unclear whether they, in practice, whether they've applied to state agencies, uh, whether they can be overridden by letters of approval from police forces or from the district collector or any other administrative bodies. So all in all, it's quite, it's, it's in practice, it's still quite vague. On paper though, to walk you through the process, there's two separate processes which have been put into place recently. Main portal for all the work is the BGCA's Digital Sky Platform, which is an online uh, web-based uh, dashboard where people can log in, upload some details, and after that, they can access the various routes to obtain permits. Uh, so one of those routes, which was only valid till 31st January, so it was only open for a two or three week period, was a amnesty for all those who owned drones in the country. And this uh, essentially the process was that you would upload the details of your uh, drone to the DJC website for in exchange for which you would get like an ownership acknowledgement number or an OAN and a drone acknowledgement number, which is specific to the different devices you uploaded. So, so for example, if I have three drones and one remote control plane, uh, then I register as an owner on the DGCA website, obtain an ownership acknowledgement number, and then obtain one separate drone acknowledgement number for each of my four devices. So at the end, I would have one OAN and four DANs. Uh, now this process seemed in a sense to be a data collection exercise. There was quite a lot of controversy about this process because uh, for private individuals who had drones, the DGC had asked them to upload their Aadhaar number onto the platform. And uh, it turns out that the backend uh, system for this platform was a private company based out of Bangalore from what I understand. Uh, and again, as the Aadhaar Act doesn't allow for private agencies to collect Aadhaar numbers, there was some controversy about this process. But from uh, what I understand, process have been completed anyway. And the data from that will tell the DGCA and the wider drone industry in India exactly how many drones are in the country uh, and which are the many, many manufacturers for those drones. The other process which has been in place again on the platform for a while but has only actually come into effect in the past few months uh, is the standard registration process for the DGCA, which is where you can uh, sign in as an owner or a manufacturer. If you're a manufacturer, you have to undertake a number of clearances from the DGC to actually have your devices up on the platform. Um, you can apply for a license indicating that you are a drone operator. And then again, you have to apply for a separate uh, license for each of the drones you have purchased from the 
legitimate manufacturers, right? The difference between the two processes I mentioned is that the second one has been around for longer. It requires a lot more paperwork uh, and essentially only applies to drones which are NPNT compliant, which is no permission, no takeoff, which is part of the DGCA's mandate around digital sky. Uh, so that's essentially the two ways of in which regulations in India have worked through the DGCA. So I think the DGCA recently announced a deadline for all of this registration, probably end of Jan. Yeah, so the end of for the first process for the data collection about the DAN and the OAN, that was the deadline. So that was the 31st of January. And uh, we had to see whether that is going to be extended or repeated again in the future. Uh, but for the other process, that's, that is the process, uh, the NPNT compliant drone uh, acquisition process is going to is has been underway and will continue to be the process uh, for the foreseeable future anyway. So right, so right now if you don't have permission, you can't take off. It's simple, as per DGCA's rules. And since DGCA is a safety regulator, I mean, they're primarily concerned with safety in civil aviation. They don't want accidents to happen, which is why they're bringing in all of these. But drones is a big industry at some level at least abroad. Within India, there are places where it's emerging up. For example, they use these in movie shootings, weddings, parties, concerts especially, right? So you want to give an overview of how the crowd is reacting to the music. Are any of these industries affected by the drone regulations? Like, are film directors facing any issues that they they don't have permission to get a specialized drone? Uh, because if the drone is not manufactured in India, because the DGCA rules specifically say that the drone manufacturers need to comply to certain regulations. And if they don't, you, the drone is not allowed to fly in India. So do you know of any such instance or is there a complete ban on foreign drones in India? How is it working out? So in practice, at this point of time, there is a complete, again, from the DGCS perspective, there's a complete legal ban on uh, foreign drones in the country. However, as uh, most people in urban India will have noticed that, again, as you mentioned, at weddings, at uh, parties, at like concerts, there are numerous drones being used. And at least in my experience, none of the ones I've seen are actually uh, any of the Indian NPNT compliant drones. Most of them are manufactured by uh, DGI, which is the Chinese China-based company uh, with a huge office in the U.S. as well. And the in practice, again, I don't know if these bans have directly affected uh, industries in terms of their operations. Uh, I do know that both in the past as well, between the 2014 and 2018, as well as currently, because of the risk inherent in investing in drone companies, there hasn't been substantial investment in this sector. Again, because the regulations are changing, there is, while the government seems to be quite enthusiastic and optimistic about the drone industry in practice these the bans the regulations have made it much harder to actually conduct business in the country right um, again even for example some of our work last year it took us three months to obtain all the permits we needed we were working in areas which were army controlled so for those for the work we were doing uh, we had got the we got army permission we got permission from the district collector we got permission from the police and that entire process took a very long time just because it wasn't clear as to what the process was to get drones and to actually use them in the field. Currently, again, for most of the events we are, you, you've mentioned, uh, permissions just aren't taken. Uh, again, like as in practice, as uh, in most of India, when 
if it, it depends on who you know and who you can talk to and who you can get to approve a particular project and uh, if they say yes yeah, sure go ahead and use drones then it's not necessary that they will actually have to go to the dgca for permission right again this is in practice uh, legally it's all still very great again one legal theory i've heard uh, mentioned a few times in the drone industry which is also i've heard in similar context in other countries as well is that a, a civil aviation regulator is only allowed to uh, regulate manned aircraft right and again i don't really think that's necessarily true but that is one of the excuses people use to say oh, you know what we don't actually need to comply with dgca guidelines it's all it's all very grace in us and that's that's just the the way it currently is for most governance uh, systems in india uh, with drones specifically uh, i think that unless something you know really put into place again like the digital sky platform really comes into its own in a sense in in its uh, ability to ensure ease of business while also ensuring safety it's it's going to continue to be great for a while so the drones as far as i know the regulations categorize them into three different categories there is nano drones there is micro drones and there is small drones three of them based on their weight right so i'll just introduce actually four categories uh, so the it's you're right it's based on the weight uh, so there's nano micro small and then large so anything over 20 kilograms will qualify as a large drone and uh, again i haven't seen any of those in uh, the use of the drone industry uh, at this point of time but also based on the categories of drones your exemptions or limitations on where you fly them are different do we know uh, what sort of drones can be flown indoors where we probably don't need permissions for example concert halls or parties which are indoors or wedding halls which are essentially indoor and not outdoors i don't think these regulations apply do they so nano drones they don't apply for any use of small of micro drones or small drones actually again so i'll talk about micro drones first because those are the most common so those are drones which weigh under 2 kilograms and another drones most commonly seen uh, at events or outdoors right and those drones again the regulations state that the local police need to be intimated before they act before they use again intimation from our understanding inform means just information so uh, if you just drop the police a letter and say i'm flying a drone at this point of at this time and date in this particular place then that will be sufficient for their purposes in practice however that's that's turned out to not be the case because since the entire in, entire uh, process is quite great from my experience from my personal experience anyway what normally happens is that they come back for either more information uh, or ask you to to get approval from a different agency right so then we end up uh, going to three or four different government departments to ensure that uh, we get the approvals to actually do the drone work but that's the way it works for micro drones for small drones again like you can use them as if from out of recall you can use them indoors and on private property uh, up to a height of 20 feet which is uh, quite low so essentially that reduces them to just toys uh, but for any other outdoor work you need to intimate the local police speaking of police and exemptions seems like some of the police departments have been using drones for uh, surveillance or to monitor large crowds during the recent protests against the CAA and NPR well there are unconfirmed reports some of these drones are manufactured by DJI and it could be the model DJI Phantom well we don't know if it's exactly that are the cops 
actually following all these regulations where you have to go register in the digital sky portal where you submit your flight plan where you want to uh, use the drones or are they exempt uh, from all of this okay that's an interesting question uh, i would definitely I, I know that they aren't exempt from shop for this uh, from the entire uh, registration and regulation process because uh, the only exemptions apply are national security exemptions which don't cover civilian agencies such as the disaster management as the police as the as uh, fire management for example but i don't know whether they are complying with the regulations right uh, it's impossible to tell uh, except going through the rti process or unless they disclose it themselves as to whether they followed this process however in my opinion i believe it would be unlikely that they've actually gone through the process because uh, it would take more time than they would have had to actually get the approvals to fly over uh, the crowds the way those drones were flying again the interesting thing about drones is that it could unless you actually can identify the operator of the drone it's unclear as to who's actually flying the drones it's quite possible that it might have been private parties flying the drones who were then going to hand over the footage to the police uh, it might not have been the police themselves operating the drones right so that chain of control of both the of, of the drone as well as chain of uh, ownership of the data would be interesting to follow uh, but it would be impossible to tell whether they are following the regulations or not unless the dgc actually comes out and says that okay in these particular instances there were no permissions taken to use these drones what can the dgc or the cops do say if i fly a drone without permission how will they know that this flight or operation has been carried out illegally i mean we don't know what are the no flying regions because it's based on our flight path that we tell to dgca they will either approve the flight or they won't so say say what if a cop sees a drone flying and he suddenly he thinks that it's illegal he doesn't know if there was permission which was taken how does one even go verify all of this so just uh, to clarify if a, if a drone is flying even if it's flying with like regulatory approvals if it used to do something illegal it can it is still it is still punishable under other sections of the law right like for example committing a nuisance violating privacy uh, of individuals they can all it can also be penalized not under specifically any drone regulation but under the regular indian penal code but in case a police person sees a drone and uh, wishes to again interrogate the operator they can essentially if it's possible to find the operator then that's one thing we can be done immediately right which is actually go find the operator of the drone uh if that's possible and then have a conversation with them about what they were what they are doing what the permissions are as to see their id uh maybe arrest them if uh, a crime is suspected the if they can't see the operator however there is technology available so uh, for example uh, again like a, a quite a few companies are manufacturing drone detection systems which combine radio antennae infrared sensors and cameras to actually track drones in cases where the communication between the remote controller and the drone is not encrypted it is also possible to identify the location of both the operator uh, as well as the drone uh, using specialized hardware and software uh, so again it is possible for example for a drone to fly for the operator to be controlling it and then for the police to get the gps coordinates of both the drone as well as the operator to uh, you know again like find them and interrogate them later Uh, in terms of the no fly zones there are geofencing system set up so uh, quite a few of the npnt compliant drones as well as uh, the dji chinese drones uh, have access to a no fly zone database so for uh, which is applicable to military areas and to airports for the most part in india 
uh, what this means in practice is that if you try and fly one of these drones which are which are referring to this uh, geofencing database within a geofence zone they will refuse to take off right so the the drone controller will give you a in a nfz error which is a in a no fly zone uh, error and it just won't uh, it will refuse to take off unless you move out of that uh, particular geofence area so this is one example of like uh, a software lock which hardware manufacturers uh, can actually impose on the devices to ensure that they aren't used uh, illegally or unethically but i don't think that's happening in india right i mean clearly the the reason we did the whole portal where one gives the flight plan first was essentially to not to disclose our national security zones or no fly regions so so that's a good point the thing is that the uh, the no fly zones are currently applicable to airports it's it's un, uh, which are visible so for uh, example the dgi has a no fly zone map which is available on the website which is what dgi drones in india for example currently refer to if they've been updated with those maps it's not clear whether there are also no fly zones which are illegal it's not clear as to whether there are drone or gps jamming uh, systems uh, which are also implemented uh, these are places which you will only see again as you mentioned in practice when you have a flight plot a flight plan filed and you actually try to fly in an area and then your drone will just be like now we can't take off right uh, and that's something which is going to have to be just be tested but uh, you're right it's quite possible for people to wait a lot waste a lot of time creating flight plans getting the approval actually going into the field and then figuring out that they can't fly the drone for uh, some very specific reason on the ground uh, and this is all adding to the cost of business to the cost of actually working with drones and it's one of the risks of being in this industry where in all of these issues discussed when the regulations were framed i mean do we know how these regulations were even brought considering that there was some level of public and industry participation in making of these regulations uh, didn't they actually realize that some of these issues are quite important that they address it at the regulation stage itself uh, i think for the regulations and regulations both in india and globally uh, the importance of security and again national security specifically but also like civilian safety have been overemphasized as compared to the potential of the industry uh, so in the case of india for example while there was a public discussion around the regulations before they were implemented while there were uh, numerous feedback loops right where people there were public public submissions for the drone guidelines there were lots of like meetings and round tables being held as well to discuss the drone permissions uh, at the end of the day i think it came down uh, from my understanding for the regulation regulatory process it came down to these discussions between the ministry of home affairs the ministry of defense and the uh, director general for civil aviation about like actually how drones should be used in the country and at the current time it's still again there seems to be regulatory certainty and in a sense of in the on, on paper there seems to be a willingness on part of the government to actually uh encourage the drone industry but in practice that's still not actually been coming into play right and uh, broadly again that comes into it's, it's a question about like again in india where we have good governance on paper but it's not necessarily good governance in practice and that's just because of the multiple systems which interact at various levels so i do think that while these issues were discussed and they have been spoken about again uh, like other systems such as facial recognition like as as, as aadhaar uh that that just having the discussions doesn't ensure that the issues in a system are worked out so you think these regulations will evolve in future where they realize some of these can't be really implemented on ground or 
the industry is facing issues and as and when new drones come into play there is definitely going to be a evolution of regulations they've already evolving faster in the past year than they have in the five years before that again there have been the numer as the industry has grown substantially as uh, the industry globally has grown as well so we can actually see where other countries how they're doing on the issue of drone regulations on the issue of actually encouraging the drone industry so there's definitely uptake on that side uh, so i don't think the rules are going to be stagnant i think they're going to go on changing it looks optimistic uh, again i'll say cautiously i'll be i'll be cautiously optimistic and say that this looks uh, it looks it looks good in the medium to long term for the drone industry uh, in that it's going to be hard to not encourage an industry which is has so much potential for uh, change and so much potential for good uh, especially if in india there's a all round ban while in other countries the industry just surges ahead right um, which is already like it's already the case right now but that doesn't have to be the case in the future as well if example issues like beyond visible line of sight fl- flying so that's what we call bvlos is um, one of the things that the current regulations have mentioned they haven't permitted it yet Uh, but it's quite clear that in the next like, few years that is going to be one of the main areas for growth right because that that kind of uh, regulatory regulatory approval for beyond visible line of sight flights is what will permit things like drone delivery which is a massive area for investment uh, of investment for drones globally so i think uh, the currently the beyond line of sight uh, drones are illegal and they are heavily being regulated and they are only being allowed for few pilots with special permissions from dgca i think zomato maybe swiggy also have got these permissions to try it out i believe that's the case uh, in practice however i would point out that actually regulating regulating these sites is very hard uh, the only kind of regulation is in place currently is self regulation uh for beyond visible line of sight right um, which means that in practice again even for like wedding photographers for concerts again it's quite common that there's a single operator who's looking at his device while flying the drone which is uh, technically illegal under the regulations thank you shashank Thank you for listening to the episode of Cyber Democracy. You can listen to this podcast on sonoindia.in or any other podcast app of your choice. As independent producers, we rely on you, our listeners, to support us. So please visit the support page on our website sonoindia.in and contribute generously.